0: Okay, good evening, everybody. I'm very excited to start our fourth year, fourth season here in the Parsha series. <clears throat> Starting off with Parsha Spiracius, I'd like to focus on the idea of sharing a criticism effectively, something that many of us shy away from because it's too difficult, it might be awkward, I know he won't appreciate it anyway, so why should I say anything? Or I've tried it in the past, and you know she's still doing the same thing she was doing before. And some of us are almost addicted to criticizing. It's a, it's a mantra, it's an ongoing theme, always finding faults and then expressing them, sometimes eloquently and other times not as eloquently. So I'd like to focus this evening on sharing criticism in the most effective way. We know that Barashi in the beginning of the Parsha tells us that Baratius Bar Elohim, it's clear that the phrase is used over and over again in that first parak of Baratish. And Rashi famously explains because she bid had in mind, so to speak, to create. The entire bria Midas hadin, only with strict justice. Roshe no ola but Hashem saw that there's no way the world would last if all we had was midas hadin, and therefore hikdim midas rachamim v'shitvah Midas hadin. He made a partnership. He brought into the world midas rachamim, not just Elokim, but Hashem Elokim. And therefore, with these two forces together, that would bring a kiyum ha'olam, that would allow the world to sustain and thrive. Without getting into what exactly that means, Hashem had something in mind originally, and then He saw that it wasn't going to work out, and He changed the plan. Obviously, Hashem is not changing His plan, but what Rashi is telling us is there was some level of evolution, starting with Midas Hadin, teaching us that Midas Hadin alone would not be sustainable, and therefore, Kadesh Baruch Hu says, we also need Midas HaRachamim. Then we jump to the end of the Parsha, where the Pesach tells us, Hashem, ve'libo." Hashem was, so to speak, disappointed in humankind. I can't believe what they're doing. They have no Hakara. They have no clear recognition of me, of reality. And Hashem was sad, Kavi Rashi says, V'yinochem, that word always has a connotation of changing. So nechama could mean comfort, bringing one from a state of mourning and then changing their paradigm to feeling more of a simcha. And nechama can mean changing your mind. So Rashi says, V'yinochem Hashem, is teaching us that Hadin. That at this point, at the very end of Parshas Barashas, it sounds like Hashem was retracting what He did in the beginning of Barashas. It's no longer a shutfist, it's no longer a partnership between the Midas Hadin and Midas rachamim. but now, the Enochim Hashem, it's going back to Midas Hadin. And it was through that lens that Hashem was looking at humanity, through the lens of justice. So Ramosha Feinstein was bothered by a pretty straightforward question, simply stated, what happened? HaKadosh Baruch Hu initially came to the conclusion that we need Midas and Midas hadin. How does that somehow change just because people are not acting the way they should? So the answer is quite simple, but Ramosha explains by quoting the Apostle in Kohelis. Shlomo Hamelech tells us, "Alti Sadik harbay. Don't be too much of a tzadik, don't be overly righteous. The Medush Rabbah explains that the intent of Shlomo Hamelech when he says, "Alti Sadik harbei" is giving Musr. Don't think that you have more compassion than a kaddish Baruch If Hashem said something is permissible, if the Torah is teaching us that something is moral and acceptable, for me to take the stance that, you know what, it doesn't feel morally correct, that's krum, that's a flawed hashkafa. Al-tihit If a person says, theoretically, I, I don't want to eat meat. I want to become a vegetarian. And I'm doing so because I really don't enjoy it or it makes me feel kind of icky, right? We have sometimes conversations at the table where the kids start speaking about how much this piece of chicken actually looks like chicken. And automatically the response is, we cannot speak about that as we're eating chicken. (laughs) You can't go there, right? It is funny, they call chicken, chicken, but we don't call cow, cow. Cow is meat and therefore it's more disconnected But if a person says, you know what, it just grosses me out, I'd rather not, go ahead, kolokavod. There's no mitzvah, there's no official obligation to eat meat, perhaps barring yontif. If a person says, though, I'm going to take a stance philosophically that I am now becoming vegetarian because I feel it is absolutely immoral and irresponsible to kill other living things, to utilize it, for my own consumption, I think that's selfish and cruel. So then Shlomo HaMelech says, Al-Tahit Tzadik Harbe. The Kaddosh Baruch Hu says, This is permissible and this is part of the function of the animal kingdom is to utilize it for human consumption. Don't be holier than God. And then the Medrash concludes by saying, Kol Rachman Bamakum Achzar. Anytime a person is trying to be compassionate in a situation where the call of the hour is to be strong, is to find that Mida of Gevura, to be an achzar. Sof shenasa rahman. Eventually what will happen is, in a situation where you should be Rahmanus, you should be tapping into your compassion and mercy, you're going to be an achzar, you're going to become cruel. Right? So there's no such thing as being machmir when it comes to being overly frum, being overly moral in a situation where Kaddish Baruch said, said, Khan, don't go farther than that. What's ending up, what will happen is you're going to warp your entire moral compass. And that's a very dangerous thing. <clears throat> Along these lines, the Gemara and tells us that, anyone who does not have Das, they don't have intellect, it is prohibited to have compassion upon them. Right? So if a person's lacking seichel, not only are you not obligated to help them and have compassion, but it's also the rachem alav, you're not allowed to have compassion. doesn't quite sound like a Jewish value. We would assume to the contrary. If someone is lacking das and they can't help themselves, there's more of a need to be there for them. There's more of an obligation to be compassionate towards them. So the stipler, as many others explain, what the Gemara is teaching us is not in a case where you have a child who doesn't have seichel and they can't help themselves, or you may have an adult who for some reason is just lacking some of the basic social skills or other intellectual capacities, of course you have more of an obligation to help that person to hold his hand and to to get him to where he has to go. What the Gemara is talking about, though, is a situation where the reason why you're lacking Das, the reason why you're lacking Seichel, is because you're choosing to lack Seichel. The reason you're lacking basic social etiquette is because you have crippled yourself. And therefore, for me to aid you in this particular situation, for me to help you, although superficially it might tug on my heartstrings, and if I'm a caring kind of guy, I would want to go over and give you a hand or offer you uh, some more tzedakah, but it could very well be, that's not chesed, that's not rachamim. You're enabling someone to continue down a path of a lack of das, and therefore, when a person is making him or herself into a human being, she'ein bodas asur le'rachem alav. So we see both from the pasuk in Koheles, al tihid and the Gemara in Brachos and the Gemara in Sanhedrin, kol misha'ein bodas asur le'rachem alav. There are certain times where the midas harachemim, the right thing to do. The compassionate thing to do is to hold back. Is to, to restrain yourself from doing chesed because going too far could actually be, be detrimental either to oneself or to the recipient of the chesed. So explains R' Feinstein. When a Kodesh Baruch Hu tells us initially There was a need to bring in the Midas HaRachamim, Midas chesed That never left the world. It's always now for the rest of eternity, Din together with Chesed. At the end of the Parsha where Rashi explains that now Hashem was transforming to Midas HaDin, it wasn't neglecting the Midas HaRachamim. It wasn't saying I no longer need the compassion in the equation. But rather, the compassion was the reason for the Din. HaKadosh Baruch Hu felt now where human beings are how things have evolved there's a need to hold back some level of chesed not just to get them back not just to punish them but because it's for their benefit this is a yesod gadol this is a very fundamental hashkafa which is obviously very delicate because to make this determination on our own Uh, It's a very dangerous psaq. I was speaking to somebody recently where there was a, a tzedakah question that came up and it was a family where there's been ongoing struggles for many years. And the question is, do you just keep on helping? In what capacity do you help? Is there ever a point where you would say, maybe I'm crippling their own growth? Maybe I'm I'm, I'm taking away that real hechrich, that need for him to to take life into his own hands. These are very delicate questions, but there is definitely a hashkafah Torah, a guiding philosophy that sometimes being compassionate may be through restraining chesed and it may be through giving tochacha. It may be through telling somebody you love and care for, that's not okay. The, uh, the Vilna Gon, in his commentary to Mishlei, he explains on the posik, "Ki es ben yirtze." is really an expression of love when it's done appropriately. shlomo HaMelech tells us that the person who Hashem loves. That's the recipient of the tohacha, just like a father who loves his child, he will therefore give him, will translate it now loosely as rebuke. right? Ohayach tohiyach misecha is generally translated as, you shall surely rebuke your fellow. So explains the in this passage of Mishlei. Ki ein doeg <speaking> alroso. Usually the people you attempt to give tochacha to are those who you care about. And you don't want to see them fall. You don't want to see them going in a, in a negative or unhealthy direction. Just like a father who loves his son will give him tochacha and explains the gra, Shlomo HaMelech uses the example of a father and son, a parent and child, because that is a time where although you may not have listened to me in the past... And although it seems like you really don't care about my instructions or my advice, because I'm your dad and I love you unconditionally, I'm not going to give up on you. And I'm going to continue being Shoal Eitsa and speaking to people and getting advice and being creative. Because I love you dearly and therefore I'm going to continue annoying you to some degree and giving you Tochacha. But to Chacha we see from Mishlei and from the Grah is really an expression of love to whom, to those whom I love the most. Restrictions that we have either in a religious sense, within the Torah, the says, are also an example or an expression of love. We have the famous Rashi in Shmini where he explains that only the Jewish nation has all of these dietary restrictions. And the example Rashi gives from the Medrash Tanchuma is that if a person goes to the doctor, you have two different people and they're both not doing well. And to one guy, the doctor says, we have to put you on a very strict diet and you have to exercise four times a week and you have to stay away from salt and saturated fat and no, uh, no carbs. And to the other guy, he says, you know what? Do whatever you want. Hashem should bless you. Superficially, we would assume he likes the second guy better. He's not placing any limitations on his lifestyle. He's saying, do whatever you want. Obviously, that's not the case. Right? The first guy, because I, the rofe. I, the doctor, care about you, and I know that you have so much potential. You just have to rectify a few things, I'm telling you, for your own sanity, for your own health and vitality, stay away from these things and eat more vegetables and move around a little bit. And for the other patient, if Nebuch, there was no real hope for recovery, and, and he was terminal, so then enjoy the time you have left. I'm not going to place restrictions on your life because you don't have that future. So explains Rashi, when it comes to all of the halachas of Kashrus, but this is only a small microcosm of the entirety of the Torah's restrictions, it's restrictions, limitations, coming from a source of Ava. I need you to be healthy spiritually and emotionally and physically. Therefore, these are the guidelines. Please listen closely. Some of us try not to give limitations or restrictions, obviously it's more relevant to children or students, but in any relationship, with a good friend, with a spouse, we shy away from tochacha because part of us feels, who am I? You know, who am I to, uh, to tell them how to live their life? And we live in a society of live and let live, you do your thing, I do my thing, and uh, whatever, she's not going to be receptive anyway, or he always gets defensive, and therefore, I just keep my mouth shut. Are we allowed to keep our mouth shut? Oftentimes the answer is, you're obligated to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> right? Like the Gemara says in Yavamos, HaNishma K'achum Mitzvah Nishma if it's not going to be listened to, if it's not going to be heard and accepted, then sometimes better not to say anything. But oftentimes it's coming from an insecurity. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how she's going to react. But been a Yonah tells us that one of the definitions of true friendship is being able to give tochacha. The Rabbi Yonah writes in the Perkiovos that there are three reasons why we have to have good friends. And that good friend could be a guy in yeshiva with me, it could be a spouse, it could be a parent or a child even. Why do we need a good friend? So, first is for Torah, in order to have someone to have real meaningful discussions with. The second reason we have to have a good friend is because we need Eitzah. We have to, uh, to analyze different things, and Pilpul Chavarim is so crucial. Having a conversation, it's not just I'm stuck in my own head. I can go in strange, weird, warped directions, but I have somebody to really be real with and to share my thoughts and feelings, and we could help each other. But the third reason, says there, been Yona, as to why having a friend is so incredibly crucial is because even if your friend is no more holier than thou, but he sees things in you that likely you're not going to see in yourself. Sometimes I'm no Gaya which means I have a bias and I really want to be doing something and therefore I have rationalizations, I have justifications as to why this is not only permissible, but it's actually a mitzvah. My friend, on the other hand, might not have that same bias and he can see things more clearly. And if he's open with me, he'll tell me, listen, I don't think that's a good idea. Right? We'll have a conversation. So to say or to feel that I'm going to shy away from giving somebody I love tochacha because it might be awkward is not an excuse. If I'm a real friend, that means if I see you're doing something detrimental to yourself emotionally or spiritually, then I have to be there for you. The only question is, how do I do it? How do I do it effectively without ruining the relationship, without causing more animosity and in a way that hopefully you'll listen to? but I can't back away from Tochacha. So to start off with a couple of clear guidelines and this comes straight from the Rambam. The Rambam tells us that when giving Tochacha first and foremost, it has to be private. And this is something which is harder in a group setting where if you're a teacher in a classroom or if you're a parent at a, at a dinner table with other kids around, to really lace in to one of the children or one of the students with other people there, the Rambam tells us, is not the mitzvah of tochacha, you're causing busha, you're embarrassing and crippling that child, perhaps for years to come. And not just that child, but other children who are witnessing the busha can also be scarred for life. Somebody told me that when he was growing up in his particular elementary school, he had one, one Rebbe that was very aggressive. And he really instilled the fear, of pachad, into the boys. And he would threaten them with, with a pach. So there was this one kid who was a Yak, and all the time he would be getting yelled at and scolded and sent out of the room. And there was one day where he was asked to stand up in front of the entire classroom and his Rebbe gave him a pach. So the guy told me, I never got a patch from that particular Rebbe. I was too f- afraid of him. I just kept my mouth shut. But I've been feeling that patch for the last 20 years. Right? So doing anything in public is, is, a, is a terrible neglect of the mitzvah of Tochacha. The second uh, piece of advice the Rambam gives us is, lo benachas ubalashen rakah. That everything we say when we're criticizing someone needs to be belush nachas. There's never an excuse to scream. There's never an excuse to raise our voice. We do so because we all have challenges with anger and once in a while we can't control ourselves. But the mitzvah of tohachah needs to be benachas and only then do we have a chance of the other person listening carefully to what we have to say. And the third piece of advice we find in the Rambam is and this is probably the most crucial and the foundation of everything, you have to make it clear to him or her that I'm only sharing my feelings with you because I care about you, because I love you. I'm doing it for you, not just in the here and now, but for your nitzchiyas, for your eternity. I really want to be madrich you. I want to help you get back on that proper path of life. Privately, benachas, and to make it as clear as possible, it's coming from a source of love and therefore, when I'm angry at something you did, it is therefore almost impossible to be mekayim, the mitzvah of tochocha, in its proper way. Because then you don't feel the love. Even if I love you madly. But if it's coming from a time and place that I'm because, that I'm angry, you don't feel the love and you don't know, it's not about me, it's not about my ego, but it's about you. If you were to guess how much of the time, let's say different interactions or conversations we have throughout the day, throughout the week, how often, percentage-wise, When I'm speaking to you, is it coming from a source of love? And how often is it coming from a source of hatred, of sin? Rabbi Yaakov, what would you guess? How often in a given conversation would you assume what you're trying to convey or share with the other person is coming from a source of ava? Your average person, what would you guess? Any number is fine. 70-30, 70-30, 70 is the love, no. okay, okay. <laughs> let's be real over here, <laughs> okay, 70-30, <laughs> I would have said that maybe, you know, 10, 20, 30% over here, 10, 20, 30% over there, I would have guessed the vast majority of the conversations we're having with most people, I don't have this wellspring of love or hatred. We're just schmoozing about something. We have to get something done. It's a business conversation. Even if it's a family conversation, who's picking up the kids? If it's someone you love, you always love them. If it's someone you don't necessarily love so much, you don't love them. But I, I wouldn't have assumed that every single interaction we have is, is being nourished from Ava or nourished from Sinna. That's why I think this piece in the Khazanish is so earth shattering. The Khazanish writes in the Munan Bitachim, he says, Kochos Nivru Adam. There were two forces that a Hu created within the human soul. Koach there's the force of love and there's the force of hatred. Olam en yichus ha'adam shel shnei yachad. And it is impossible to be relating to someone else with both of those kochos together at every time, in every form of communication, one of them is Poel is the driving force, Vahasheni Nasif and the other one by definition is pushed aside. Shnei Muchlotim, because they are two opposite extremes, Yachad, and it's impossible to have them both working together. But it sounds like from the Chazanish, he's telling us that it's always coming from one of these two sources. They can't coexist. But I'm either speaking to you, me'ava or I'm speaking to you, mesinna. I think the way to understand this is not the classic love of of feeling that strong desire to attach to something or to somebody, and not the classic definition of sinna where we see this uh, seething anger and resentment towards somebody. But Ava means we're on the same team. We're we're working together. There's a feeling of camaraderie, there's a feeling of, of joint purpose of unity. That means it's being nourished from the koach ha'avah. If, on the other hand, it's me versus you, right? It's a, it's, it doesn't have to be an argument. But the dynamic of this conversation is, it's you over here on this side of the table, and me over here on this side of the table. We're not working together. We're working against each other. That means it's being nourished from sinna. It's either coming from Ava or sinna. So when it comes to any level of communication, especially tohacha, says the Rambam, we need to make sure it's coming from the koach of Ava. Can we fake it? Let's say it's really not. I was speaking to a Rebbe in a particular uh, middle school and he was asking, not here in Boca Raton, but he was asking the question, you know, every year, before Yom Kippur, the kids go through the motions. Machal, yeah, you machal Rabbi, you yeah, yeah. The truth is, this past semester, at least in the beginning of the year so far, there were a few kids that were really, really rough. And they're going to ask me for mechila, and how do I say, yeah, no problem? How do I, how do I get there? I don't mind going through the motions but is there a way to really be them knowing full well that they probably don't really mean it and likely that behavior will continue. So the only advice I had was when it comes to mechila it's not necessarily saying what you did was okay, I'm not just forgiving and forgetting, I still feel that behavior was totally inappropriate and out of line. But it's really delving within myself how much of the negativity, how much of the the sinna, to some degree, that I feel towards you is based on the fact that what you were doing was directed at me, that you weren't listening to my instructions, that you you weren't obeying my orders, or the chutzpah was not at that guy, but it was right here. And how much is it I'm just so incredibly disappointed at your behavior? And if theoretically, I wasn't involved in your life, but I just was a fly in the wall seeing you act the same way to another person, how would I feel in that case? I would still feel disappointed, but it wouldn't hit me, it wouldn't sting me in the same way. That level of mechila, it's shy, it's possible to attain. But when it comes to Ava or Sina, I might not love you, but I could get to the place where we're working together is it possible to fake it? And the answer is a resounding no. If I don't really feel a closeness with you and a connection in this particular conversation or or whatever dialogue it is, you will pick up on it subconsciously. The Rabbeinu Tam and the Sefer HaYasher says that there were great Sadiqim where they were able to tell when other people were giving musr and giving fiery speeches, they could tell if the guy speaking was sincere or not. What was the litmus test? How did they feel when they were hearing the musr? How were they responding to hearing the words of Tochacha? If it penetrated their heart, then they said, it must be it's coming from his heart. So I feel it penetrating. But if it's only coming out of his mouth, but it's not really emanating from his being, it's not the person he is, he's not living that way, he just happens to be a, a good, uh, engaging speaker, so then I don't feel it. And this says a time is true with every human being. I could feel deep down if what you're saying is coming out of a love and care for me, and that you're on my team wanting to help me, or if it's just because I insulted your ego and you want to tell me that that's not Okay. So that's category number one, trying to give tochacha me'ava. Here's the main problem. The main and most fundamental problem with ever giving anybody tochacha is the very simple fact that we don't like to hear it. Tell me I'm doing something wrong. Right after the shir, come over to me. Shkoyach, good shir, Rabbi. The truth is, though, I, I really thought it was... It was a little bit more boring than usual, and I was, I was falling asleep most of the time. And I'd, So I, it might be good to hear, it might be good feedback, but it's going to hurt. Feel free to give feedback, though. So because people don't like getting negative feedback, it makes the job, it makes the mitzvah of giving any form of tochacha that much more difficult. Aaron Cohen, in the Torah tells us at the end of Parsha Tzav that when he was getting instructions from Moshe Rabbeinu, ar kol Moshe He did everything that Hashem commanded Moshe. Meaning the instructions that Moshe relayed to Aaron that he received from Hashem, Aaron listened carefully and Rashi says it's a praise to Aaron for not changing anything. What exactly is that praise? If Moshe tells you to do something, you'll do it and you'll do it well. But explains the morale. The praise is that Aaron did not hear it directly from Hashem. He heard it from another human being. And the words of the morale are: "If I feel I'm coming to something on my own, or if a Kodesh Hu Baatmo tells me to do something, then I could do so b'simcha. However, when it's coming from Moshe, there's another human being giving me instructions, telling me how to do something, then my natural response is, I'm not so into it because you told me to. The praise, the shevach to Aaron is that even though Moshe told him to, he still had the same joy and reverence and simcha as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself told him. But you see from the morale, even someone like Aaron HaKohen doesn't like taking orders and being told what to do from anybody in the world, even if it's your loving brother who's the humblest man on the planet, Moshe Rabbeinu. If someone was to ask you, who is the most influential person in your life? Right, thinking back throughout the years, Isaac, what would you say? Who was the most influential person on your life, on your growth? You are so sweet. <laughs> my okay, my parents. Sometimes people say they're their grandfather, a Rebbe. You know what the true answer is? The most influential person in your life Yourself. is you, right? When someone says that, you know, uh, Rabbi Goldstein on college, he was Makarevmi. me. It's an amazing thing. Every time we have somebody over for Shabbos, we had Uriel over, so the story is almost boring by now. I was at FAU and I was kind of lost and I was walking down the breezeway and that's when I met Rabbi Goldstein and that's when everything changed, right? <laughs> but to say that Rabbi Goldstein was Makarev me, sheker muchlot, It's not true. Who was Makarev you? You were Makarev you. There are, sh- are shluchim that HaKadosh Baruch sends our way. If it's parents, if it's teachers, source of, ins- of, of, of inspiration, but ultimately, I have the most influence on my life because I have Bahiro, and I choose where I'm going next. There Rebani Yonah tells us in Perki Yavos, he says, that's the meaning of, Im nili mili. if I don't inspire myself, I can hear all of the amazing speeches and go on Torah anytime for five hours straight and hear fire and brimstone and, 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 and chachma and stories. It's not going to change me, though. It could go in one ear and out the other. The only way to have real, lasting, meaningful change is if it's coming from within. So number one is I don't like being told what to do. Human nature is to recoil when I receive any instructions, especially we could say the, the nature of a Jew is and we're even more up in arms if somebody tells me what to do or what not to do. And practically speaking, it doesn't really work. If I don't engage myself, if I don't inspire myself, Anything else from the outside is not going to change me. I remember seeing in one of Abshimshan Pinkus's svarim, he said that if you have right now, whatever the percentage of Jews are in Eretz Yisrael, who are presently not keeping Shabbos, right? So if you were to tell them, try to convince them and have all the kira professionals go out and speak about the beauty of Shabbos, it's not going to work. And there's obviously a lot of baggage and history within the different factions living in Eretz Israel. However, if all the Kiruv professionals say, we're giving up, we're not focusing on the non-firm, we're doing our thing. However, Iran was now threatening Israel. And Iran makes the declaration that we will totally destroy, we will fire in hundreds of thousands of rockets, Khalilah, into Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, if any Jew keeps Shabbos, this Shabbos. Said Reb Shem Shempinkus, every single non-from-Israeli Jew will be keeping Shabbos and going to shul and eating cholent and kugel. Don't tell me what to do. So we don't like being told what to do, and it doesn't even help. It's got to come from within. The author of Kelm makes this point beautifully, where he says that when it comes to any chiddish, any new insight that I hear from somebody else, no matter how beautiful it is, even if I know exactly what you're saying, I, I don't have that same grasp of it as you do. Why not? Because I wasn't there in your head and in your heart during the process, during the evolution of how you ended up with this chidosh. If you think of somebody who writes a song, right? you'll have the composer, and and let's say the composer also sings it, and then you'll have someone else who sings the exact same song. It could be the exact same words, the exact same melody, but it's not the same hargosha because... You're just copying the final product. You weren't there during the entire evolution, the process, the formulation, the internal formulation of the song. So says the author of Kelm, when it comes to any real growth in Torah, in spirituality, in a relationship, it's got to come from within. So if that's true, how in the world do we give criticism to somebody else? They don't want to hear it, they're going to recoil, and it's not going to work anyway. So how do we fulfill the mitzvah of Tochacha? So I want to share with you a new definition of Tochacha, a new translation of Tochacha. Until now, we've been assuming the basic translation of Tochacha is rebuke or criticism. That is not what the word means. Where do we have this lashon of Tochacha, of Hochacha, in the Torah? So Rashi tells us, this is uh, after Sarah was taken by Avi Melech, and now she was being sent back, and he gave her wealth and riches, the expression that's used in the Possek and Pashas Vairo.Hhu <laughs> nayim that all of these gifts that I'm giving you should be nochachas, should be a clear proof that you are clean, that you are good, that nothing happened, and you're safe. Says Rashi, What Avimelech was telling Sarah when he says, is he was explaining, this should be your opportunity to explain to anyone who might have a question as to what took place, what was that experience like, in Mitzrayim, you could explain to them and show them and prove to them, devarim nikarim, with clarity, what actually happened. Lushan hochacha b'chol makom beirur devarim. Wherever we find the phrase hochacha, the translation is always berur devarim, a clarification of truth. Tochacha is not rebuke. It's not even the cushioned way of saying constructive criticism. Tochacha is clarity. It's arriving at a truth that I didn't have before. I could give tochacha to myself. That's really what musr is. Musr is being nayser, is bringing tochacha inwards. Giving tochacha to somebody else is not rebuking but it's helping them arrive at a truer understanding of themselves or a particular situation based on information, based on the insight that you're sharing with them. That's tohacha. And therefore, tohacha ideally should never be given from a source of sinna where it's me versus you, where it's me chastising you, but it's always coming from a place of Ava where we're working together, we're on the same team. I'm speaking to you privately because you know I love you and I care about you and it's benachas and it's not out of anger and kas and it's not a slight to my ego, but I'm helping you discover a truth you might not have had clarity on prior to this conversation. This is why Tuchacha can never be personal. If there's ever any Shemetz, any slight feeling that you're receiving from my Tochacha that the reason why I'm criticizing is because I took something personally, then that's not the mitzvah of Tochacha. Because again, if I, the recipient of what you're saying, am going to get defensive, that means you're not accomplishing your goal. You're not being, you're not being adivarim. You're not clarifying truth. You're just making me defensive. You're not, you're not being mekayim the mitzvah. Along these lines, I want to share with you what the Eish Kodesh writes in the Chovest Talmidim. And this is extremely relevant, halacha l'maysa, in the most practical of ways when it comes to any relationship, especially with children and students. <coughs> He speaks about the, the discussion or any kind of communication between a Rebbe and a Talmud. He says, It's not sufficient in our times that the Talmud should feel that I'm just subjugated to the will or the, the whim of the Rebbe or the parent. yures rabbo lemis v'oret a Love. Because if you're telling me to do something, and I feel you're trying to control me, then I'm going to feel connected you. I'm going to feel opposed to you, as if you're a stranger, you're not in my team, we're not working together. Ha hu l'hachnis balibo deyazo explains the Eish Kodesh, the ikr, the main goal of giving a child tochacha, is to try to enter into his mind the following thought. Sheyad shehu that he himself should know hanar baatzmo hu ikraham that the child him or herself they are their main educator not their parents not even their Rebbe. lokhoten venarhu and try to get across the message you're not just a child you're not just a nar raknezer metahshem bekerem yisrael hu you are the future of the jewish people and you, you have the obligation. I have to try to help you. I have to try to assist you as much as I can. But really, it's your chiyuv. It's your responsibility. You are the next generation. You have to grow yourself into a great tree, in etz chayim, in this gan, in the orchard of Klal Goes on to explain, as a chovashu ish began, began Hashem You're teaching the children that you have this opportunity, you have this responsibility. Kasher What happens when you're able to shift? And it's so much easier to preach about these types of things than actually implement it in a classroom. Everyone is an expert in education until they stand in front of 28 7th graders. <laughs> and then they realize they know absolutely nothing. <laughs> but at least to appreciate and understand the Hashkafah of the Eish Kodesh. If we're able to implement this form of, of, of education, where we're giving them a sense of independence and responsibility for their own Avodah Hashem and their own growth, Kasher loyira es Oritz umoshelzar they will not see their parents or their teachers as a stranger trying to control them limsholalov that wants to take control over their lives Alatsmo, they've been taught from a young age this is your life you have bahira this is your responsibility Moshel machane you're in charge of yourself and your decisions. tov ozrim heimlo And then you could have some level of gratitude. Probably not at a younger age, but at least as kids mature, if they see their parents and teachers are there not to control them, not to just get them to obey instructions, but they're trying to assist them and give them the tools necessary of being independent, highly functioning human beings in of the Hashem, then the children have a sense of, of gratitude for everything that we're doing. And he concludes by saying that, you know, the Gemara says, if you have two chefs in the kitchen, the pot will never cook. If a person thinks that my main ruchnius is coming from an outside source, and this is not true just in the classroom setting or in a family setting, but it could even be true when I have a rebbe, when I have a rebbe. A rebbe is a needed fundamental part of developing a mesorah, being part of a mesorah, but at the same time I should never feel that I don't have to stand up before a kaddish Baruch by myself. If I feel that my Rebbe will take care of me for me without having to use the proper das and responsibility and accountability, so then ultimately I'm going to wiver, I'm going to, to, to suffer in my Vodas Hashem. Now, how in the world, though, do we do this? Obviously, we're not going to tell children... Listen. It's up to you. Do whatever you want. You know, if you enjoy the whole Judaism thing, that's great. If you want to explore other religions or factions of Judaism, go for it. Lo zuhaderech. That is not the way. But how do we get them to make changes on their own without feeling forced into those changes? So I'll share with you a story, and I think I mentioned this in Rosh Hashanah, but. To me, I received such powerful tochacha from someone who had no intention in giving me tochacha. He was asking a halachic question regarding where and how long in the middle of Shemona Esrei are you allowed to insert personal tefillos. And we were schmoozing about all of the different tefillos that he adds in and the different people that he's thinking about and davening for And as a friend, I was, I was curious what's on his mind. And I was assuming that he would go into a whole list of all of the things that he's struggling with and he's struggling with many things, but he begins to tell me, he says like, listen, even over the last year and a half, all of the people that I know directly or indirectly who've been suffering from COVID people who have lost a spouse, people who have lost parents or children young widows that I may not know that well, but I definitely know of them, and I can't even imagine how they're continuing with the strength and bitachon to get through and and to keep on having the the simcha sachaim. So I'm davening for all of these people, and it takes a while. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because many of the people that he mentioned were people that I also know. And I've also davened for many of them, and I've cried at levayas, But it's not something that's always on my mind. And as time goes by, inevitably, we get busy with other things, and we're distracted, and we're moving on to the next crisis. And you could forget about the people that you really care about. So when he was asking me this random halachic question, to me it was the greatest tochach in the world, where have I been davening for these people? why have I not thought of this person that he just mentioned in the last three months? When you put it together, if the definition of tohacha is not rebuke or chastising or even giving criticism, but it's helping somebody else arrive at clarity, helping somebody get a deeper sense of truth, then the most powerful form of tohacha is not what I say to you, but it's how I live my life. And this we know. The Chazanish tells us, and many people tell us, that the greatest form of chinuch is always what I'm doing, not what I'm preaching. It's how I live, not what I say. But usually we understand that concept, that uh, it makes it more real. It's not just the uh, lip service, but, I, but I'm, I'm walking the walk. But I think based on our, our new understanding of tohacha, it's so much deeper than that. The reason why your behavior is the greatest tohacha is because then it's actually working to show me emis. And I don't have the defense mechanism. And I don't sense any anger. And it's not about your ego. And, and there's no Busha involved because you're not putting me down. But I could come to it on my own. I could arrive at that truth. Last piece here from the Chavez Talmidim, the Eish Kodesh tells us that whenever we need to share something with anybody that might be viewed as negative or somewhat of a put-down, the obligation is always to use the opportunity to lift somebody up and not to break them, chas v'shalom. So he says, for example, with a malamed, with a teacher even at the moment where he might be giving some level of critique, even if there's a level of reverence that's being instilled right now, there should always be that undercurrent of joy that's there as well. I'm not losing control, and you know even while I'm telling you something, even while I'm giving you instructions for how to change, it's coming from a source of ava and a source of respect. That undercurrent is always there. He goes on to say that the most important thing in any level of negative feedback is that the recipient knows not just how much I love them and care for them, but how much I believe in them. He says, How careful we have to be in our generation. Where oftentimes the child's heart and mind is so far away from us and so distracted with so many other things. To instill in them a sense of bitachon in themselves to let them know how much I have faith in you and believe in you, not only will it be beneficial for the message I'm trying to share, but for the overall chinuch itself, it's life-changing. Because then, because then, you could open up the mind and the heart of that child from a place that was, that was insecure before, that was hidden, that was covered up, because they didn't believe in themselves. And now that I know that you, my Rebbe, believe in me, that you, my mother, believe in me, and it's not just lip service, you're not just complimenting me on something that's meaningless, but I see that you see there's real potential. Not only will I accept that message, but that will give me more kochos, more ability to maximize my potential. Whenever giving any level of tochacha, we always have to search after a unique, positive quality that this person has and to praise them genuinely, not just as a setup for the but. Right? You're really doing amazing stuff and I appreciate everything. But... Everyone knows you're just saying that because you want me to hear this and you want to cushion the blow. This is not about cushioning the blow. This is about fulfilling the Torah's obligation of tochacha, of sharing truth with a human being that I love. The way to share truth is to make sure there's no defense mechanism. The way to do that is to let them know that I believe in you. We have to search for those things. We have to be mechazek them and then we can share whatever level of tochacha we have in mind. So in conclusion here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Din is not going to work. We need the shutfis. We need the partnership of rachamim. Sometimes, though, din can be coming from the rachamim. Sometimes we need to rebuke. Sometimes we need to give to Sometimes we need to have restrictions. But the major factors are in the sharing of constructive criticism Is It's got to be an expression of love, and if I'm not feeling it right now, I keep my mouth shut and I wait till the proper time, the proper opportunity. The message itself is delivered with nachas in a pleasant way. It's private. I'm never going to embarrass you. Even a russia, even someone who's halachically qualified as an evil person, you're not allowed to embarrass him. It's got to be private. It can never be personal because then your defense mechanism is up. I will never label you. This is who you are. It's the saddest thing in the world when you could have a couple, even if they're joking. And oftentimes it just becomes a habit of, of a sarcastic interaction where the husband does something and the wife will say, or vice versa, the wife does something and the husband will say, oh, ish, princy. oh, oh yeah. it's not that you made a mistake but you're always doing this. Or David, <laughs> David, you're so clumsy. That's not tochacha. that's onastavarem. That's just making somebody feel bad. We never touch somebody up, we never define somebody based on a mistake. The best tohacha in the world is not about what we say, but it's about what we do, because then it can really share the truth of the message without any level of them feeling bad, without any level of them feeling busha. That's why the young man, when he came to the Chazanish, he was newly married, but he had a hard time because his wife wasn't as supportive as his learning as he assumed she would be. And uh, she's asking him to do all these things around the house and washing the dishes and cleaning the floor and going shopping and things that that a husband would do, but he just felt it was a little bit uh, excessive. So the Chazanish said, I think the problem here is that you're not learning with enough diligence. And the young man was taken aback. I'm not, my wife is not supporting my learning to the extent that I feel I could be shtigging. Chazanish said, she's not supporting your learning as much as you'd like her to because she doesn't respect your learning. The reason she doesn't respect your learning is likely because you're not showing it the proper respect yourself. We should be zoha, only to give constructive tochacha, sharing truth, not rebuke.